0: this morning. Well friends we are working through a few passages in the gospel of Mark uh, leading up to Good Friday and Easter. Uh, last Sunday we looked at Mark chapter 11 verses 1 to 11 on the topic the king arrives on a donkey which is known as the triumphal entry. Uh, this week in the life of Jesus uh, we, or this week has commonly been called the passion week. Uh, it is in the life of Jesus a week of intense uh, challenges for Christ. Let me just highlight a few things that will take place during this week in the life of Jesus. It's final week in Jerusalem. If you want, actually by the way, copies of the messages, we do have some copies available. I think Sam Zang has got some uh, copies. Uh, if you raise any probably get it across to you, okay, so um, you can do that. Uh, during this time he will cleanse the temple he will do a significant teaching, He will wash the feet of his disciples, He will institute the Lord's Supper, He will be betrayed by one of his own disciples. Such a painful experience, Judas. He will stand before the Jewish council, he will stand before Pilate, He will be mocked, be whipped, and then he will go to the cross. These are just some of the things that Jesus will do and face in his final week here on earth as the son of god and so this morning we look at mark chapter 14 32 to 42 and i have titled this message the agony of jesus all right so keep your bibles open to this passage as we work through it the agony of jesus so let me first pray and then we look at this passage lord (coughs) we approach this text with profound awe and solemnness we pray this morning that your spirit will speak to us lord help us to understand what's going on here in the name of jesus amen well friends as we look at this text as i said we approach this passage with profound awe and solemnness we are as one commentator says on holy ground and what we see here and what we read in this text is so deep that i think it is hard from a human point of view to comprehend so as we look at our text this morning we're going to look at it under under two points the two points are this the distress of jesus and the prayer Of Jesus. So, two things the the distress of Jesus and the prayer of Jesus. Look at verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. Verse 33. And he took uh, with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Verse 34. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. So, Jesus goes with his disciples. 11 not 12. Judas one of his own disciples had left to go and plot with the chief priest and to arrest Jesus which would take place later in the garden. Jesus and the 11 leave the place where they had the Passover and also having instituted the Lord's Supper. At the end of that evening Thursday night they had sung a hymn and they headed to the Mount of Olives. And on the way, they came to a place called Gethsemane. Gethsemane is a garden which was probably a grove of olive trees. For Gethsemane means oil press, where probably the olives were pressed and the olive oil was collected for use. The Lord retreats from the crowd to this garden to pray. And he says to his disciples, sit here probably near the entrance of the garden while I pray. And then Jesus separates himself from most of his disciples going off to pray by taking with him three of his disciples who were the closest to him, Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John were the inner core of the disciples. They were with Jesus, remember, at his transfiguration see we read this in mark chapter 9 and after six days jesus took with him peter and james and john and led them up a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them and his clothes became radiant intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them and so peter james and john were there with jesus when jesus experienced the transfiguration and we know at that time friends that Elijah and Moses were there as well imagine the scene imagine seeing Elijah and Moses right and so for people who say well there is no life after death when we die we are nothing we just disappear from this world we go into some outer space or perhaps not even an outer space that's it friends that is not it correct Because how could Elijah and Moses come back and be with Jesus if there is no such thing as life beyond the grave? That's the point, right? And so Peter, James, and John were there with Jesus. And you see what happened at the transfiguration. And a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him God speaking this is my beloved son listen to him and so these three disciples had seen something of the glory of Jesus at his transfiguration they heard the voice from the cloud of who he is the beloved son of God and they should listen to Now, why did Jesus need these three disciples to be with him in the garden? Did he actually really need them? Was he so lonely that he needed these three guys to be uh, with him? No, I don't think so. But he takes them as his close friends to be with him because my understanding is we we can't, we don't have any explanation given to us, but probably because they needed to see him. (laughs) go through the agony in the garden they needed to learn and to see something of his agony they needed perhaps to learn and see of his wrestling in prayer before his father as the beloved son of god and so they went to this place called gethsemane and he said to his disciples sit here pray and he takes these guys, and then he says to peter james and john he began to be greatly distressed and troubled And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. How could you unpack a text like this? We see a savior who is so distressed. You see, the word distress in the original word is a compound form of the verb which means to be amazed. And so we get this understanding that that this whole experience has causes him to be utterly and totally amazed of what is going on for himself and he is troubled and the original word would give us the idea that he is in great anguish in great distress and so this is the we combine the understanding here we get this amazement of anguish that christ is facing and this word troubled means to be anguished To a level of really incomprehensibility. This is an anguish that he is facing. A trouble that is deeply affecting him. My soul is very sorrowful. Even to the point of death. Have you ever been sick in your stomach? Due to a situation? Have you? Have you ever felt utterly... Sick in your stomach because you don't know what is happening to your loved one, or there is sorrow and you feel overwhelmed? Have you at times? See, we get an understanding here from a human perspective, don't we? This sorrow that Jesus says, look at the text there, it's quite remarkable. He says, Remain, here. this sorrow is even to the point of death. I am so sorrowful that I might as well be dead. It's making me die. You see, Bible teacher and scholar, Dr. John MacArthur, commenting on this, he says this, but as much sorrow as he had, sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow, grief upon grief, there was no sorrow and there was no grief ever in his life like the experience recorded in these verses that's the sorrow that jesus was going through the distress the agony that jesus went through in the middle of the night in the garden of gethsemane you see these are deep emotions friends that are experienced that christ has experienced so what was this sorrow what was this sorrow was it because one of his own disciples judas was about to betray him. You see, in, in Gabby's testimony, she used the word betray, right? If you heard it carefully. Have you ever been betrayed by your friends? D- don't have raised your hands here, but those whom you knew betrayed you, those whom you trusted has betrayed you, those whom you loved has gone away from you, those you counted as your friends are no longer friends. What does it feel like to be betrayed? Terrible, isn't it? In a marriage relationship, where your husband and your wife has betrayed you, betrayed that trust that you had. It's a terrible thing. Was Jesus sorrowful because he was going to be betrayed? Was it because he knew that Peter, one of his own, is going to deny him three times? Was it because of the trials he will face eventually leading to the death by crucifixion? what was it it does not seem to me friends that it was his impending death that provoked sorrow of his soul to death there was a reason of this distress there was a reason of this amazement of this anguish there was a reason for this trouble that his soul has been sorrowful even unto death and what was it we'll see it as we go along in this text hopefully we'll get to that answer clear later and now we see as we move on the prayer of jesus And going a little further, verse 35, he fell to the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. You see, it is the first time in the Bible that we see Jesus falling on his face. First time. Normally, people have come and prostrated themselves before him. But for the very first time, the Son of God, the word who became flesh, God Himself in the flesh. You get the picture, prostrating himself, face to the ground, praying. First time. And what does he pray? If it were possible, let this hour might pass from me. The hour might pass from me. You see, the hour here is a reference to the time that God had planned his son every bit of everything that was going on was according to god's sovereign plan and the hour is approaching the time is coming the night has come the suffering is beginning and the cross is on the horizon his prayer And this prayer is that the hour might pass away. In verse 36. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. You see, Abba, Father, indicating this close, wonderful relationship that the Son has with the Father. And you know what, friends? You know what? The beautiful thing of this is, Galatians speaks about that. Paul tells us, we can come to our God and say What is it? Abba, Father. Did you know that? That this God is the father of his people. Now, earthly fathers can do terrible things to their children. Yeah? We hear of terrible stories of fathers doing terrible things to kids. We hear of terrible stories of mothers doing things to their kids. Unthinkable. And so sometimes when we use the word father, we can come up depending on what kind of father that we have had in our own lives we might think this father that doesn't fit in well to my understanding because the father I had was a tyrant I was watching this movie Axel Ridge I don't know if anyone saw that movie maybe you did and this soldier in the US Army he said I'm not going to take a gun and he had this massive battle with his commanders. Imagine that. Joining the army and refusing to carry a gun. But he said, no, I'm not going to do this. You know why? Because his father was a veteran in the army. And he came back after the war. And he had a gun in his hand. And one day, was going to shoot his own wife. And the son took that gun and pointed it at the father enough is enough, but he never used it against his father. And the father came back and anyway uh, saved that son from the tribunal. You see point, the, the point is our father, our father loves us, yes? Our father cares for us, yes? Our father is the one who understands suffering. Abba Father is the one who understands the human emotions. When I have no one else to turn to, we turn to this Father. Abba Father. You are my Father in faith in Christ. You are everything to me. That's it. You see, we heard in this testimony, we come into this world with nothing, and we go out of this world with everything. Nothing. Nothing. But when we know this God, we know and we have everything. above Father. See, all things, three things Jesus says here. All things are possible with you. Remove this cup from me and your will be done. All things are possible with you. Jesus knows that the Father is able to do whatever he wishes. This is a prayer of confidence in his Father. Remove this cup from me. Now what is this cup? In the Old Testament, the image of the cup Keep this in mind, please. The image of the cup can symbolize either God's blessings or it can symbolize his wrath. And in the majority of instances, the cup, the cup here symbolizes or represents the Lord's judgment and wrath upon wickedness. Now, all of us use cups all the time, right? You make your coffee, you have your own cup, right? I have my own Starbucks cup, actually, that I use in my place. right? Belongs to me. No one else well, they can use it, but they don't. Right? And every time we use this cup, we, we know we use a cup to drink, to consume whatever is in that cup. And the cup here is an image that we have. It symbolizes, as I said, God's blessings or His wrath. And on most occasions, it symbolizes the wrath for wickedness. For example, uh, we read this in, in, in Isaiah Wake, uh, is the, yeah, okay. wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord, the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs, the bowl, the cup of staggering. And so here, here in our passage, the cup has negative connotations, which means it represents the cup of divine wrath that Jesus would drink on behalf of his people. And so that's what we see here jesus taking this cup the savior is going to take the full weight of all the sins of his people and so when jesus says remove this cup from me it is his cup of bitter suffering that he has in view here and hence he fell to the ground praying that this cup be taken away the hour passed by and so luke tells us something else friends and being in agony luke twenty-two forty-two. 42 He prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like, what is it? Great uh, drops of blood falling to the ground. So intense was this experience in the garden that his prayer, that his capillaries burst down his face sweating blood. And the medical term now, I'm not a medical guy here. We have experienced doctors here and cardiologists and all, but the term that is used here I think is, uh, I get this right, hemorrhagia Hydrosis I think that's what it's called, right uh, under in, immense stress where the capillaries apparently inflate and explode, causing blood to come out that it, this is the limit of human stress so much that it was bleeding as like just blood coming out. And so what did G- God do to his son? in Luke chapter two and there appeared to him an angel from heaven. Strengthen him in Jesus. You see, he was all by himself. He prayed alone. What was the reason for this distress and sorrow? His trouble? Why did he pray for the hour to pass? Why did he pray for the cup to be removed? Surely Jesus knew all things. He knew he was born to die. Was he fearful? No. The fact is that, friends, we can have a tendency to deny the full reality of the humanity of jesus and so john calvin says this those who imagine that the son of god was exempt from human passions do not truly and sincerely acknowledge him to be a man and calvin also says that jesus humanity is different than ours in that in his grief and weakness was never mixed with sin as the sinless savior and so from a human point of view in his humanity he is crying out to his father take this cup away now he can face the crucifixion he can face the pain he can face the, f- the pain of betrayal but what jesus is agonizing your friends and this is kind of the answer to the question that I left in the, in the beginning: Is agonizing is that he's taking the cup of wrath for sin? That is the cup of God's wrath in the Old Testament, foreshadowing that God is going to pour out every one of our sins upon His Son Jesus, and that is the sorrow He's going to take the weight of sin upon Him, and it is so. As our substitute friends. That's the point. By drinking this cup. God made him drink the cup. Becoming a sin curse. A curse for sin for us. He bore our sins in his body. His impending crucifixion. His death. All of the sin was about to come upon him. And he became sin for us. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson says this, uh, great scholar and writer and pastor, the cup contains the full vehemence and fierceness of God's holy wrath poured out against all sin. And we discover in scripture that it's intended for all of sinful humanity to drink. It is your cup and mine. The cup should have been drunk by whom? Who do you think should have drunk that cup? Huh? Me? You? Yes? We should have drunk that cup, friends. Instead, Jesus took that cup for you and for me. Wherever we are, whether we are in China or whether we are in Vietnam or whether we are in Sudan or Hong Kong or Sri Lanka or Scotland, or, wherever Christ can reach out and has drunk that cup and has saved you and brought you to himself when we should have drunk that cup? What a blessing, right? Do you think so? What a great blessing and so friends, we have here the greatest thing that Christ has done as as a of a substitute uh, Jonathan Edwards the great reform theologian puts this puts it this way this was the greatest act of obedience that Christ was to perform he prays for strength and help that his poor feeble human nature might be supported that he might not fail in this great trial that he might not sink and be swallowed up and his strength so overcome that he should not hold out and finish the appointed obedience Jesus says I know friends this text is so full he says yet not what I will but what you will what a prayer what a prayer to pray what a prayer for us to pray in our own prayers what do we pray for our own selves right do we pray that the Lord's will will be done in our lives yes and what is this will well let me just unpack a few things very quickly What is God's will? People say, okay, what is God's will for my life? Some things are absolutely clearly stated in the word of God, right? No mistakes about it. What does it say to husbands? Come on, guys, help me out here. Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives. Come, guys, tell me. Husbands, love your wives as? Christ loved the church. What does it say to wives? Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the? lord clear i don't need to go and say what is god expecting from this sinner in re- relationship to, to my wife love your wife as christ has loved the church clear what about two young people here who have your parents honor your your father and your mother clear right god's will what about young people who are sick or anyone who is seeking their future spouse in their lives do you go out with a non-christian what is God's will for you in that situation? Be you not unequally yoked together. Some things are absolutely clear. God's will is clear. Some things we've got to pray. But anyway, the point here, I've digressed. Jesus says, your will be done. And then, as we wind up here, he came to the disciples. What do you think these guys were doing? Hey? having a sleep right some of us even fall asleep during the, ch- the sermon <laughs> right <laughs> probably getting getting close to sleep thinking looking at a watch thinking it's nearly 12 o'clock what am i supposed to do here right i know we're a long service here this morning friends but for all good right jesus peter denied uh, jesus right Je- jesus deals with that situation spirit indeed watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation says that to peter peter did fall into temptation He came the third time these disciples had fallen asleep. And then this amazing statement by Christ as we wind up. It is enough. Verse 41, 42. It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. What an irony. Jesus came for sinners. He did not betray any, but his own has betrayed him friends have we not as well have we not uh, have we not ourselves turned our backs on the lord notice what jesus does he says rise let us go a triumphant call a triumphant call for a triumphant journey that is fixed to the cross rise we are going and as he goes where is he going He's not fleeing. He's not hiding. No, no, no. He goes to meet the approaching mob. A great number perhaps coming as we read with, with, with swords and everything else. Commentators have various numbers there. Some say 500 maybe. We don't know. A great crowd. And among them was whom? Judas. The betrayer. When on Good Friday we will see something of this of his horror with his cry from the cross and then on Easter Sunday of his resurrection. So friends, why did Jesus endure so much in the Garden of Gethsemane? Why the garden at all? Couldn't Jesus God do it some other way? God could have arranged it otherwise. But this was God's wonderful plan to be fulfilled in his son. That by this example Himself. He shows what sorrow and suffering and endurance that he went through. And he prayed this prayer. And what a lesson for us in our prayer lives. And we also see his total obedience to the Father. Not my will, but yours. What a prayer. And I pray that in our lives, for the remainder of the days that God gives us here on earth. Do you know how many days you have to live? Come and see me after the service. I'd like to know how you got that calculation. (laughs) None of us do. But the remainder of these days. Lord I want to do your will. Have your will in my life. In response to all that you endured. In that garden for me. And on the cross. Because your love is so amazing. It's beyond description. And your suffering beyond understanding. Amen. Father, we thank you for this passage. Thank you for giving us concentration this morning. Uh, And we pray that we reflect upon the agony of Jesus. All that he went through. All that he is to us. That he took the cup. He drank it for us. He rose up and went triumphantly to meet his accusers. And then ultimately to the cross. In Jesus' name. Amen. And what, what,